It's God's light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine. As children, we were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in all of us. It's a big day in our church. Um, you know, for the last several months, we've been praying and preparing to uh, really become two churches in one location, and today is kind of our launch day. Uh, as we speak right now, uh, 11 o'clock, our, our service started in, uh, in Calvary uh, in Tulsa, and, and it's, uh, you know, today the team that was leaving this campus to go there to serve is they've been deployed and they're they're on site and they're serving and and I'll tell you it's an exciting day and uh, I'm I'm thankful for it you know um, uh, I think about this week we've been tearing down walls and painting and there's new carpet coming in it's a little bit un under construction there today uh, the flooring didn't arrive when we thought but but it'll go in next week so but it's just exciting all week long we've been just uh, feeling this sense of, of excitement, anticipation, a little nervousness, and uh, but but I'll tell you, it's 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 almost like as a church we've experienced a new birth. You know, I remember when our kids came home from the hospital. I remember standing in the hospital holding Emily. I mean, I saw Robin's, you know, becoming greater with child in those days, and and uh, and. And, and you know, I, I, but it didn't hit me. And I'm standing in the hospital holding Emily, looking at her like, "Oh man, I got to take this thing home. Oh my goodness, what are we gonna do?" And and I, I, we we took her from the hospital, put her in this padded car seat, and drove slowly home. And then we carefully took her out of the car seat. She was wrapped up like a little cocoon. And we carefully went over to the crib, the padded crib, and put her in the crib and stood there and looked at her, you know, for a long time. And um, you know, new birth changes you. What's interesting is spiritually when new birth takes place, God doesn't put us in a padded car seat in a safe little environment. The second we're born spiritually, what happens? We, we engage in the spiritual battle. And when I think about what God is doing in the life of our church today, we have deployed a group of, of people that have gone from here and are engaging in a spiritual battle in the heart of Tulsa. And this, this morning, God is doing a big work in the life of our church, and, and we're in this book, the series in the book of Acts called Ecclesia, like Chad had said, and that term really describes the church. It means the called out ones. And, and that's who we are as a church. We are called out to serve the Lord, called out to share the gospel. And, and we're not inwardly focused. We are called to go out to the world. And we say it like this. We uh, we describe it, we go here, there, and everywhere. That's what we say at our church. And, and it's amazing to, to think about right now, all over the world, some of our students are serving the Lord on, on mission trips, and, and they're serving all summer. And, and this right now we're preparing and planning as a church to go to Central America, South America. We're 
preparing to go to, to England and, and Europe. And, 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 you know, we're taking that call seriously that we go everywhere. And we give to the cooperative program, which supports missionaries all over the world. We support people translating the Bible in, in Middle East countries. And, and we take this seriously. We go everywhere. You know, we say that we go there. We go all over the United States. Our students go on mission trips around the country. And, and you know, we send people to Indian reservations in Arizona. And, and we believe we're called to make a difference in this country. We make a difference in our state. We go there. We go all over there. But we also go here, right where God has planted us. I think about the mission as, you know, a lot of us are wearing our mission shirts today. I'm wearing mine. You know, we're uh, building the mission on Garnett. If you're visiting today, we, we have, uh, we're, we're going to break ground this summer on the mission. I drive by there every week on, on Garnett over close to 116th Street. And, and you know, we're building a, a building that's going to be a place people can come to for clothes and for, for help with bills and for uh, baby clothes and food. And when we're, we are a church that are running into the needs of the people in our community, we go here. We're, we today are launching into Tulsa as God has opened a door for us as a church. And, and God is at work, and this is a big day in our church. And it's perfect that we're in Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, turn there, because Acts 9 is this incredible moment in the, in the life of, of, of Peter. And, 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 you know, the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, but it's interesting that that Luke, the writer of Acts, who was a physician, he, he kind of turns his uh, face away from the actual apostles, though we're going to be looking at Peter today in a, a moment in the life that God was using Peter in a, an incredible way. But, but the, the, the book changes around right here where, where it, it goes to the gospel spreading out, expanding. The church is expanding here. And, and, you know, today as we look at Acts chapter 9, we're going to be in verse 31 and go through verse 43. I want you to hang with me the whole time in that passage with your Bibles uh, because we're going to see a miraculous work of God through Peter. But do you know what else we're going to see? We're going to see a miraculous work of God in Peter that I don't want us to miss. Would you stand with me? Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 31, is just such an incredible moment as the gospel begins to spread to the Gentile world. Verse 31, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ has healed you, heals you, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the res residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. 
So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him into the upper room. All the windows stood, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics, the other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated now. Now the church is, is starting to expand here, and, and Luke, the author, kind of turns his attention away from Jerusalem. Now, now this doesn't mean that in the Jerusalem church that God wasn't doing some big things, because we know from history that James, the brother of Jesus, was in Jerusalem. And, and, but, but I want us to think about what was going on in the lives of the early church here. It's amazing. Because think about the, the apostles. I mean, I mean, they had... They had watched Jesus die and was crucified, and then, then they saw him. He rose from the dead. They spent about a month and a half with Jesus, listening to him teach, and, and that changed their life. And, and they, they, they figured out how all these things came together, and, and it radically transformed them as they heard him teach. And then, then in Acts, it talks about, Luke records about how they were standing with Jesus. He ascended into heaven right before their eyes. And, and they got that commission from Acts 1.8. You're going to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the world. It, basically, Jesus said, you're going to go here. You're going to go there. You're going to go everywhere. That's what you're going to do. And then he ascended into heaven right before their eyes. And, and that changed them. They, they, they were radically transformed. So they started talking about Jesus. The gospel started um, having power, the Holy Spirit came on them at Pentecost, and, and they experienced this incredible work of God. And you would think that the religious leaders would go, golly, we got to follow Jesus. But, but that's not what they did. They got hostile. They, they turned to persecution. They, they, they arrested the apostles, and, and they beat them. And, and then, then the, the event of Stephen, he, he was murdered. And in this illegal trial, and, and persecution began, and, and, the, and the church scattered. And, they, and they, they split up. But then, you know, God did something miraculous. Saul, like we looked at last week, was saved and transformed. This amazing work of God, the meanest guy they knew, came to know Christ and began preaching. And, and look at verse 31. Look back at verse 31. After this, it tells us, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, and was being built up. I mean, for the first time in the history of the church, uh, there was peace. They, they, weren't, they, they weren't facing the, the intense persecution that they had originally faced, and, and, and there was an element of peace. But look, notice, they were being built up. What does that mean? Well, they were starting to grow spiritually. They were starting to understand the Old Testament and how things came together. And, and, you know, this is an important call that all of us have. We're called to be built up. We're called to grow spiritually. Are you growing? 
I mean, is this something you're measuring in your life? All of us should be paying attention to, to our spiritual growth. And, and are we able to do this? This is why today is such a big day, not only with Calvary, but we're starting with groups. And, and, and we, we're, we have opportunities to, to gather together every week and study the Bible and grow spiritually and hold one another accountable. And this is why we don't want you to just come to this big room and sit here Though this will be a part of our spiritual growth, we also need to be in small groups and be held accountable. See, the church was being built up. They were growing up. They were growing spiritually. Look at this. Verse 30, 31 says, and they were walking in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? It's not that they were afraid of God. Oh, God, I'm afraid of you. No, fear of the Lord, when you hear that in Scripture, it's, it's this acknowledgement, God, I am paying attention to your voice I'm listening to you. I'm turning my face to you. And this is all of us. This is our call as believers that we're to live in the fear of the Lord. We're to respect the word of God. We're to put it into our lives. We're to pay attention to his voice. And it says, and and they were experiencing the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Folks, the Holy Spirit is alive and well and at work in us. We just sang that incredible song. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us, is living in us, is empowering us, is strengthening us. It's amazing. And so what happens in the church? Look, it multiplied. Of course it did. People are like, man, this works. Jesus changes lives. And, And this is what we experience because the world and all it offers, it just doesn't work. If you're in pursuit of your, of, of your own way of life or, or maybe your financial security or, or whatever you're trusting in, uh, your family or, or anything but Jesus, it just doesn't work. And that's why we are a people that say, God, you are our Lord. You are our Savior. And it compels us. It moves us. That's why we can't sing a song like that and stay seated and just sit there. No, we got to get up and say, Jesus, we're ready. We're paying attention to you. We listen to you. I love this. Now, point number one today, if you're following along, we see this in the life of Peter. And, and, and we've we got to catch this. And, and we're experiencing this. Number, number one, we've got to pay attention where God is working and join in. This is what Peter has done. Peter knew Acts 1.8. He, he knew that, okay, look, I'm to go to Jerusalem. And I've done that. I'm I'm to go to Judea and Samaria. And so Peter, right here in Acts 9, he's going on a mission trip. It says he's going about, he's going, um, as Peter went, verse 32, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down to the saints who lived at Lydda. And, And see, he was on his way. He was recognizing God is at work through us, through me, and I've got to get out of Jerusalem, and I've got to put God's word into practice. And see, there, there's a principle here that we see that God powerfully works through his people. And folks, for us, we are a people where God is powerfully at work in us and through us. And, and that's, that's where we are in Tulsa, in Owasso, in Tulsa, in Collinsville, in, in Skyatook, in Ulaga, and all these places where we come from. God is powerfully at work in us and through us. And, and see, Peter was putting God's word into practice there. Verse 32, as he goes on this mission trip, um, he, he, he goes to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Now think about this guy. I mean, he's been in bed for eight years. I mean, when I was in the second grade, I was in the hospital for about a week 
my appendix almost burst, and and uh, and I was really sick. My mom just thought I was trying to get out of school, and and um, and and I was in the hospital for a week. I was so sick of chicken broth, and and I was like, man, this is a bummer. I was a second grader; I didn't understand. But this guy was in bed for eight years. I mean, think about it. He's paralyzed. Everywhere he went, he can't go to the bathroom by himself. He can't, anytime he has to get out of his house, somebody has to carry him. Anytime he has to uh, uh, just even go to the kitchen table, someone has to bring him. He's bedridden for eight years. Look <laughs> what Peter said to him, verse 34. Peter walks up and says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. I mean, this is like a parent's dream. I mean, how many times have we looked at our teenagers and said, rise, make your stinking bed, right? I mean, I think it's funny to me that he's like, hey, get up. You want to make your bed? And this guy was pumped to make his bed. Oh, I'd love to make my bed. But can you imagine this? Eight years, you're in bed. Peter walks up. Jesus Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. And immediately he rose, it says. And the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now what's interesting is this guy had likely seen doctors. Luke, being a physician, pays attention to these things and, and recognized, look, God is powerfully at work. And, and in, in his case, in Aeneas' case, it wasn't a doctor who healed him. It wasn't some medicine man. It was a preacher that walked in and said, look, it wasn't even a preacher, it was Jesus. Look what he said. Jesus is healing you. And what's interesting about Peter here, though God was powerfully at work through him, Peter was very careful and very intentional about not promoting his own self. He was intentional about saying, look what Jesus has done. Now folks, let me tell you something. God is the one who is at work in our lives. It is God who is at work in our church. It is God who is moving us. It is the, I mean, I, in our first service, there were two men sitting right over here, um, uh, Lyle and Barry, and, and I've watched both of them be healed, uh, not by our prayers, but by Christ. Not by doctors, but by Jesus. And folks, God still does this. And in this moment in, in Acts, we, we look at this unique work of God as Peter was this instrument that God was using to work through, and, and people were healed. This guy that was paralyzed for eight years gets up and walks. And when, when people in these two cities, they hear this and they see this, what do they do? They turn to the Lord. It's awesome. Now, you know what's interesting? You didn't have to go to Aeneas and convince him that he's sick. You know, sometimes we have to do that. You know, I think there are people that walk in our door. Many times I've been sick. I didn't even know it. And Jesus came and met me and healed me of my sin. Folks, I want you to know something. God is at work. God still heals. Physically, but more importantly, what God is doing here miraculously is he is healing spiritually. As these people come to Jesus, look at verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Look at this lady. She's different than Aeneas. I mean, Aeneas was probably a good guy, but he didn't have 
uh, a lot of lot of things to offer. Dorcas, she she had a lot to offer. She was full of good works, it says, and acts of charity. So so she was one of influence. She helped people. She had she did a lot of good things. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, which is part of their tradition, and they laid her in an upper room, in verse 38, since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing the tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. I mean, it's interesting that these people have this death of a dear lady that they love that helped them, but they don't call a doctor. What do they do? They call for Peter because they were expecting God to move. And I love this about, about, about the early church is they walked in expecting God to do something. You know, it's like what Chad said earlier. I don't want you to miss it. And he said, let's expect God to move us. You know, every time we come together, can I tell you, we should expect God to speak and to lead and to move. And we should walk into this place every time we gather for worship going, God, what are you saying to us? How are you working through us? What do you want to do through us? And you see this, that Peter, that the church is expecting God to do it. And, and, and so he comes, Peter rose, and he got there. And, and verse 40 says, when he, when he saw them, Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when, Peter saw, and, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand, and he raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Can you imagine that? I mean, that is crazy to me. That, that Peter followed Jesus' example here because Jesus did this uh, when he healed a man like this. And, and, and I want you to know it's so important that they, they expected the power of Christ to move through Peter. And he did. He did in a supernatural way. And I want you to see that this same God who was rose Jesus from the dead, this same power that was in the life of Peter, he lives in us. Now, does that mean that we're going to be able to walk into, I'm going to walk into Mallory's funeral home when somebody goes there after they had died and say, get up and walk? You know, see, all these miracles were part of God's plan. They were part of this, this design of God for, for him to work and move through Peter and, and, and to validate the fact that Jesus is alive and well and he's moving. And see, we have this record of this miracle because we can look back and say, Jesus, we can trust you no matter what. The bottom line is all of us are going to die someday. Tabitha eventually died. We're all going to walk through that door someday. But see, what God was doing in the early church, he was, he was performing these miracles and moving in such a supernatural way because the world needed to recognize that Jesus came to conquer the grave. And see, that, that's gonna ha- we're going to realize that the day we draw our last breath. Because there's going to be a day that this body dies. And when that day comes, I will see face to face that Jesus really did defeat death. Yeah, my, this, this shell won't be here. But folks, let me tell you something. Heaven 
is a promise, and, and I'll tell you, it's amazing. Look at this. You see the power of Christ at work here, that, that God used Peter in these supernatural ways. And I want you to see God is at work through Peter, but I don't want us to miss something very, very important in this passage. God is not only at work through Peter, but we need to see that God is at work in Peter. And this is, this is how it happens. So often we go serve the Lord and, and we're helping and God is using us. And, and I think about the people right now that are, that are going to wake up in Tulsa, that are going to be live close to Admiral in 244. And, and right now they woke up this morning and, and the best they've got is, is watching some sports show on television or, or there, there's emptiness in their heart and, and they're, they're, they, they recognize that their life is just not, something's missing. And they're going to get a knock on their door. They're going to see uh, hustle and bustle over on Admiral. And, and they're going to recognize what's going on. God's going to speak to them. God's going to draw them. They're going to come to know Christ. They're going to experience healing. And we're going to experience God working through us. But can I tell you, every time you go serve the Lord, we can't miss that God also works in us teaching us. And right here, you see this. Look at verses 35 and verses 42. I want us to point, a, point out something. It says, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. When they saw Aeneas, they recognized, man, God is big. God is powerful. we got to turn to him. Verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And I want you to know, in this moment, Peter is recognizing, wow, God is big, and he is at work in powerful ways that I don't even understand. And that's taking place right in the midst of us, because at the same time, and I don't want you to miss this, at the same time God was working in his people, God works through his people. Now, it's interesting because Peter goes on this mission trip outside of Jerusalem. And, and, and you know what's interesting is, is, is Peter was struggling with an attitude here. Because here, when you look at all the people that had converted, all the people that had come to Jesus, you know what's interesting about these people? Is, is Peter would share the gospel and say, yeah, put your faith in Jesus, but he also expected them to become, follow Judaism, follow the Jewish customs. Remember what Peter, when he was arrested, Peter and John, they were on their way to the synagogue. They were following the Jewish customs. And Peter got it, I've got to go to Jerusalem I got to go to Samaria or Judea. I got to go to Samaria. But what he hadn't figured out is this idea that I've also got to go to the ends of the world. And Peter, right here, you see God working in his life. And, and, and point number two is important for us because we've got to resist the temptation of complacency. You might be saying, well, Chris, what are you talking about? How can Peter be complacent? I mean, here he just goes into, into these two cities and he, and he heals someone and they, one guy's paralyzed for eight years and, and he heals him and then the other lady's dead and he raises her to life. That's complacent? What are you talking about? But I want you to notice verse 42. It became known through, throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. See, God was at, at work and big, big ways, bigger than Peter understood. 
And folks, that's taking place right here in our church. That's the significance of today. Because right now, God is at work in our church in in a big way. And and one of the things that we have decided today, we've been preparing for six months, that God, we're going to take this step into the unknown. And we made a leap today. And what's amazing to me is is we've deployed a group of people that have been coming here and serving and working and being in these seats. And and what is interesting is now we have deployed them into Tulsa. And and they've left this place and they're serving there. And, And as we speak, Rob Lewis is preaching this same passage. But I look around this room and we've had two services that were completely full. Folks, God is at work in our church, and, and, and you know what we've done? We've made the decision not to be a stable church. You might say, Chris, have you lost your mind? You mean we're not supposed to be a stable church? Absolutely not. You know, this week I, I read an article that I, maybe it was last week, but by Tom Rayner, and I, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you what he said because it's so good. He wrote this article about five key reasons why stability is bad for a church. Tom Rayner is a leader in in our denomination. He's been a a phenomenal pastor, and he's a guy that I've never met, but but I I read what he writes, and he's just an incredible leader. But he writes this, a stable church is not a church on a mission. And and, and churches that, that long for stability, those are churches that don't get on a mission. They don't live on a mission. And our call is to live on a mission. He, he tells this story that, that uh, there was a pastor that, that, um, uh, that, that was leading efforts of change in his church. And this lady came up to him and said, uh, you know, these people are messing up our church. These new people are messing us up. And folks, he, I love what he says. He says, he says the, uh, the very nature of a great commission means our church should be in a constant state of change. We've got to change to reach our city, to reach our culture, reach a nation, reach a world. He says, um, comfort is the enemy of obedience in a stable church. And let me tell you something, I believe that. We're called to obey the voice of God. And see, Peter is called to obey God's voice. And, and, and see, we sometimes long for comfort. And let me tell you something, when you obey Christ, it will be a lot of things, but it will unlikely be comfortable. And, and, and I loved what he said, that, that, you know, stability means comfort. And comfort is a rejection of obedience. Third thing, he says, stable churches are not reaching their communities. And folks, we are called by God to reach the people around us. We are called by God to reach the world for Christ. And this is something that we must do. Stable churches do not create new groups. And and what we're doing today is a big day in our church because we're launching new groups and we're launching an entire new campus today. And folks, stable churches always multiply right here in the church it is multiplying and that's uncomfortable i love what tom rayner said this he says members of stable churches want the focus to be on their preferences and i'm just going to read what he said they want church the way it's always been 
they are more concerned about getting their way with music style, room temperature, and precise starting time of worship services. In their latter years, they are able to sing, I did it my way rather than I did it God's way. And, and folks, it is my prayer that we reject that temptation of complacency. And, and this is where Peter was. And, and, and you might say, how are you getting that? How are you getting that from this passage? Well, look at verse 43. I don't want you to miss it. Notice how God was working in Peter's life. It says, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. And you might say, are you getting all that from that? Absolutely I am. You know, Peter stayed many days with this tanner. This is amazing. I mean, Peter at this point was, was, was stuck. Yeah, he was going to Jerusalem. He'd gone to Jerusalem. He was going to Judea. He was going to Samaria. But what God was preparing in Peter's life, Peter, you've got to recognize the call to go to the whole world the Gentiles, and you've got to come next week because we're going to see in Acts 10 what God did in Peter's life. And right here in verse 43, this is a hinge point. This is one of these incredible moments that you see God at work in Peter's life because you've got to understand what a tanner is. You know what a tanner is, right? It's he, a tanner handled dead bodies. A tanner would, would mess with skins. Their house stunk. And, and you know, in Jewish customs, they were seen as off-limits. And Peter was all about being a good Jew. He was all about following the customs. And, and this was who he was. But for whatever reason, he meets Simon, and he had come to know Christ. And Peter looks at Simon and said, i got to stay with you, man. And what's amazing is Peter had just healed people in two separate cities. Three cities have come to Christ. He could have stayed anywhere he wanted. But what does he do? Simon the tanner, I'm going to stay at your house. Do you know that a tanner was required to live 50 cubits outside a city? Do you know that if, if you were a woman and, and, and you, were, you were engaged to a man and you found out he was a tanner, that you had permission to break the engagement? Folks, a tanner was off limits. And this, this proper Jewish leader who had authority in the church and who needed to get this vision, he looks at Simon and he says, man, i got to stay at your house. And he didn't just stay there for a night, he stayed there for some time. And here's the lesson for us today. Here we are in a city that is right before our eyes becoming more diverse day by day. You know, I, I think about the changes I've seen in five years. My sister was here this weekend, and, and uh, we had a family wedding, and I, I drove her around Owasso. She came to Owasso for the first time. And I was like, yeah, right there was a, was a farm when I got here. And now it's a Sam's. Sam's is so smart by building their store next to our church. They're so brilliant. <laughs> and, and I think about uh, just we are in a city 
that is becoming more and more diverse. It's changing right before our eyes. And folks, this is why as a church, we've got to, we've got to look and follow the Lord. Pay attention to where the Lord is working and join him. Can you believe it that we get to join in the work of God in this place? Can you believe that? And now God is opening a door to a part of the city that is diverse. It's more Hispanic. It's, you know, it's different economically. It's different ethnically. And, and, and we're investing in it. And at the same time, God is preparing us as a church to reach a city that needs, reach people that need Jesus. And, and, and here's the point, point number three. This is what God is doing in Peter's life, and I believe this is what God is doing in ours. Get ready to embrace diversity. And folks, we got to get ready for this. You know, um, I have a mentor in my life, and he made me really, really mad about nine months ago. And um, he is, um, we were really moving forward with Calvary. And, um, and, we were about to bring it to the whole church floor. And I called him. I said, man, I just want to pick your brain about this. I hadn't talked to him in a while. We didn't know about it. He's never been here. He doesn't know you. He lives, in the, he lives on the East Coast. I've never sat with him face to face, but I was paired with him. He was a, uh, he was a, I asked him to mentor me. I was paired up with him with this ministry that I signed up for to help some coaching, coach me. He was my coach. And I called him and I said, man, we're, we're, we're doing this. And he said, you know what? You shouldn't do it. And I go, what? I mean, why? He goes, you pastor a white suburban church. You shouldn't do that. It ticked me off so bad. I go, you don't know our people. You don't know them. I didn't say that at that time. I just said, okay. Thanks, thanks, man, for your time. And we talked for a little bit. I listened to him, and I hung up. I have not called him since. So ticked me off because I said, okay, Lord, we are not doing what that guy should because you told us to. And God, I'm going to be a man that listens this way more than this way. Because when I get on my knees and when we wrestle with this, we're supposed to do it. I need to forgive him. I probably have some issues with that. I probably ought to call him this week. I'll confess. I'll do that. I don't want to, but I will because I've used this as an example and it's probably not right. It's not in my notes. <laughs> but, but you know what? God has called us to join him where he's working. We've got to resist that temptation of complacency. And when I think about what God is doing in Owasso, in Tulsa, 
we better get ready to embrace diversity. I don't know, when I look at our future, I'm just fired up. I'm fired up about serving the Lord right here. So today, if you're here and you don't know Christ, let me tell you something. There is a reason that all through Scripture, you see in Acts 9, you see everywhere through Scripture, people are turning to the Lord. Why? Because you need Him. He'll change your life. Don't go one more day living life on your own. Come to Jesus. You know, as a church, we're called to this crazy adventure. And and none of us have crystal balls to look ahead and go, how's all that going to work out? Let's trust God day by day. Because his word, what does it say? It's a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. And you know what? The Lord says, I will show you how to take the next step. And, he, and then he does it day by day. And you take that next step. You take that next step. And you, what you find is you're walking with the Lord. Let's walk with him.